You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Here we are still in the season of Lent, and I am your host and editor, Michael Litchens, here with CatholicExchange.com. And today we're very proud to welcome another voice you should all be very familiar with. This is Karen Edmiston today. She's a former atheist and is a convert to Catholicism. Last time she talked about her book, After Miscarriage, and we also talked about her book, Deathbed Conversions. Today we're talking about her latest book, You Can Share the Faith, Reaching Out One Person at a Time, which is really one of the more interesting practical guides for evangelization that I've ever seen from a Catholic press. So Karen, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for such kind words about the book. Oh, it's my pleasure. And actually, I rather enjoyed this. I think one of the most interesting things about this is we all think there are do's and do's with evangelization. Well, those of us who even tried to do it, and you actually split it up with six do's and six don'ts, I see, which is brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did actually call them, you know, do's and don'ts in the chapter. And then, um, but as you get into it, um, as you read it, I, I hope what people will see is that there there really aren't cut and dried do's mm-hmm. and don'ts. You know, we all, I, we wish that there were, don't we? You know, just wish that, like, tell me to do <laughs> these five things and I'm going to convert, you know, thousands of souls to Christ. But it's never that easy. So <laughs> the do's and don'ts are kind of, uh, yeah, loose, loosely trying to sum up. Um, really what, what amounts to, you know, a collection of personal stories and, and um, stories that show uh, how people helped me to come to the faith and how, um, you know, I hope to turn that around and, and just by, you know, loving people and sharing the joy in my own faith that hopefully that, you know, draws souls to Christ as well. Excellent. This is something that a lot of Catholics are called, are accused of not really caring about. They're not really consider to care about evangelization or reaching out to people. And this is a a great book to answer that. I'm curious to know what brought this about? What made you want to write it? Um, you know, I was I was talking with my my editor one day. She was um mm-hmm. very kindly encouraging me to write another book and she said, you know, well, you know, what would you what would you like to write about? And I said, you know, I just keep going back to this idea that I just would love to share with people how um, how important my friends were to me over the years of my conversion, because it, you know, it was, it was over the course of years. It wasn't anything that happened overnight. Um, I had a lot of people in my life that were very patient with me, um, mm-hmm. kind, loving Christians who, um, never actually tried to convert me. Although, you know, I later found out how much people were praying for me, but I never felt like they were trying to change me. I felt like they loved me for who I was. They were my friend. And, um, and they, they just kept on being my friend, no matter where I was in my life. And so once I, I did convert, you know, I, I looked back on that and it it just so often would move me to tears to think about how patient people had been with me. And I think that's something that, um, we sometimes forget in the evangelization process is that it just takes patience, you know, prayer and patience. And so I really just wanted to share some of the stories of some of the amazing people that I have known and have been privileged to be friends with, um, and stories that some of my friends have shared with me. Um, so I really just wanted to write what, what amounted to a very personal book, Yes, about Mm -hmm. do's and don'ts of evangelization, but also, you know, very personal stories, which I think is what conversion comes down to. You know, it really is a person-to-person process. Person-to-person process is especially important. And also, you talk about patience. In fact, I think that's your 
in chapter seven, you particularly talk about patience for the married folks who are involved in Mm -hmm. what I enjoyed about this book is you talk mentioned throughout the book that conversions come in stages. It's never a one-time thing, which growing up evangelical was not at all how we were taught about conversion. (laughs) I suppose not. You have a experience than I do. That's for sure. (laughs) No, I always remember that. Like it was one of those things we were taught growing up. It's like, you know, it's a one-time thing. Now, granted, that also goes in with theology of once saved, always saved, which I can't get into in a 20-minute podcast, but (laughs) um, they... But yeah, it's theologically, it's like, oh yeah, it happens, you know, you have to make a decision right then and there. And then as I've grown up and met other people and obviously became Catholic, I'm like, no, it rarely, in fact, sometimes in my own life, it took me a couple of years to convert as well. And I could think of other friends who converted it. One friend of mine, it took him a good decade of thinking, of talking and contemplating. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's not to say, you know, in in both your experience, mine, you know, those Mm -hmm. experiences of our friends, that there aren't moments that that it's like lightning bolts. But but still, the overall process, you know, it it can definitely take years. It certainly did in my case. It did in my husband's case. Um, It has in the case of, you know, some of the people whose stories I share in the book. So, um, yeah, I think I think that um, to to expect that we are going to change overnight. Um, not that Jesus Christ doesn't change us profoundly, um, but it, to expect that we are just going to hear something, boom, I'm going to change, I'm going to accept that, and I will be a completely different person tomorrow is mm. unrealistic in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> if only it did work that way. If only yeah. we just stopped sinning one day, that would right. be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It would. <laughs> Uh, particularly i wanted to come to one area of your of your book that for me this is the chapter that stood out it's a really good book and i'm recommending it to everyone but this chapter stood out to me and you were saying that you should be honest with your struggles uh-huh. which you never hear about in any context whether it's evangelization or not what prompted you to put that in your book yeah that one was that chapter opens with um, a conversation I was having with my friend Jack. Um, Jack is mentioned mm-hmm. a number of times in this book, and he and I, our history goes all the way back to high school. Wow. Um, we met when I was a senior in high school. He was a junior, and we became dear friends um, and still are to this day. Um, and he had grown up Catholic and had fallen away from it and made his way back to the Catholic faith. And so in making his way back to the faith, he had faced a lot of, of questions of his own, you know, and had to mm-hmm. overcome a lot of his own struggles. And um, so at a certain point here, he was, you know, a practicing Catholic again, and I was turning to him to find out more for myself. And so I opened that chapter with uh, us having a discussion about natural family planning and how he and his wife were giving this a try. And I was completely skeptical and said, you know, you're just crazy to even try that. Isn't that just called the rhythm method? And it's called having a lot of babies, right? And, <laughs> and he, said, he said, well, no, they say there's a little more to it than that. And um, so throughout that chapter, I, I try to address the fact that, you know, I mean, these, this, this is hard stuff. I mean, we were talking about, you know, intimate married life and uh, his struggle with that, his wife's struggle with that. Um, but the fact that he shared those things with me, you know, it was so helpful to me because down the road when I was asking those same questions for my own life, can I do this? You know, will my husband accept this? Um, what does this mean for our marriage? What does this mean for our life? Um, the fact that Jack had been so honest with me um, w- was so helpful to me. He never sugarcoated 
his own struggles, which would mm-hmm. not have been helpful, you know, for him just to say, oh, and there's this thing called natural family planning, and now we're doing it, and it's all wonderful. It, it wasn't honest. And, um, you know, they did they did struggle through it and struggle to understand it and struggle to embrace it. Um, and so I think I think that kind of honesty can only help when we try to cover things up and tell everyone that absolutely everything about living life as a Catholic is wonderful and happy. And you'll, you know, you'll never be sad again and you'll never have another struggle or argument (laughs) again, not realistic. So his honesty um, was hugely helpful to me uh, because he, and I ended up struggling with a lot of the same issues that he had struggled with. So Mm -hmm. I not only had somebody who had been there, but somebody who would tell me honestly, like, yeah, I struggled this way. And then here's how I overcame that. So he became, you know, kind of a role model to me as well. Right. And there always are. I mean, as both converts, I think we can assure everyone there always will be struggles within your faith, no matter whether it's personal or Mm -hmm. questions or anything. So it's good to be honest about these and accept that it's going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Again, if only in an instant we were converted, stop sinning, and also we're convinced of everything, if only. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, for Jack, in that chapter, I'll just, you know, give kind of listeners sure. a little bit a, a preview of that one. But um, what he started going through with, he started seeing um, a priest. He asked him if he could, he asked his priest if he would be a spiritual director and, and his spiritual spiritual director to be said to him, well, you can't really call me your spiritual director because you're not really living as a Catholic. And this was before Jack was practicing natural family planning again. He and his wife were still using birth control. And and he goes, well, yeah, I'm I'm Catholic. He's like, I, you know, yeah, I was away for a while, but I'm back to it. He's like, no, you're really not living the Catholic faith, Jack. So he's like, you know, you also shouldn't be receiving the sacraments. And Jack was like, whoa, you know, I, I, I'm just starting to receive them again. I'm just starting to love this again. Why are you telling me not to, to receive? And he said, well, you're really not submitting yourself in obedience to the church. And so he's like, oh, obedience to what? You know, <laughs> and, and the priest, you know, talked to him about the artificial birth control issue. And Jack's like, yeah, we're not ready to go there. And he said, well, start being obedient in some area of your life. And Jack said, you know, we've got this big trip to Chicago coming up. And what about driving the speed limit? Does that count? <laughs> and the priest just kind of laughed and said, if you want to be obedient to the speed limit, that counts. Be obedient to the speed limit and stop taking the sacraments until you're ready to be in full communion with the church. And so the chapter goes on to detail some more about how <laughs> that that uh, you know journey of obedience played out for them. But I thought that was brilliant on that priest's part to just bring him back to the very basics and say, you know, that the Catholic life, the faith is not about what is feeling good to us at the moment, you know, receiving the sacraments again was feeling good to Jack at that moment. But our faith life is never about that. It's about us listening to God and submitting ourselves to the things that he's asking us to submit ourselves to. So starting with driving the speed limit was just a brilliant little strategy, I thought, on this priest's part and where it led Jack and his wife and, you know, eventually their family and the children they had was beautiful. (laughs) That is beautiful. (laughs) It was, I, I rather enjoy Jack's story because, well, I don't, I'm a single man, so that's not a particular struggle. I know I had uh-huh. other struggles that were similar uh-huh. to like, oh, I'm not quite living as Catholic. Are you sure? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted to find it, please. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
if you had to, if someone, as we're getting partway through this book, I am kind of curious to know, if someone wanted to start evangelizing a particular person or speak with a particular person, what would you say is the best way to start out that conversation? You know, sometimes the best way to start it is not to start it, I think. Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, if it's it's somebody that you love um, or that you really care about, a friend, sometimes the best thing we can do is just, you know, keep being a friend to that person, um, sure. keep loving that person and accepting where they are right now and, and being open to, um, to what cues might come from them. I think that might be the main thing is, you know, that, that it can be really helpful if we're alert to the fact that, oh, maybe they start to ask us something about our faith. Maybe they've never, um, done it before, but if we're just authentically living our faith, um, doing the things that we Catholics do, sometimes that's going to spark some questions and, you know, being alert to when that's just, you know, pure curiosity versus maybe openness to the faith, um, can be helpful. And sometimes, sometimes it all starts with pure curiosity. You know, Mm -hmm. they might say, Hey, by the way, I, you know, I have no interest in being Catholic, but I'm just curious, why do you guys do this? Um, you know, that's okay. Just answer that question that they have. Don't, don't feel that you have to try and convert that person on the spot or within the next month or even the next year. Um, but just, and, and to remember too, that, you know, this really isn't our job. This conversion is the job of the Holy spirit. And so long before that person even expresses curiosity, you know, definitely be calling on the Holy spirit, um, when you're with them, be praying for that person behind the scenes. Um, and then kind of be open to what the Holy spirit is showing you. Brilliant. And we'll be taking a quick break right now. So this is a quick word from our sponsor, Sophia Institute Press. And we'll be right back with Karen to talk a little bit more about evangelization. One moment. In God's Healing Mercy, Kathleen Beckman offers a healing guide and retreat to learn how to embrace divine mercy in this Jubilee year. Using examples from scripture, the saints, and the lives of others, Kathleen offers the perfect companion for the year of mercy. Scott Hahn praises God's healing mercy as a must-read for anyone who wants to encounter the living, joyful, and healing face of the Father of Mercy. And welcome back to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is Michael Legends with Karen Edmiston here. We're talking about evangelization, and our last question was, how do you start the conversation? And Karen brilliantly said, maybe sometimes it's best not to start at all, which is... You can rewind if you want to hear how that conversation goes. Now, Karen, uh, I guess the question I would be on everyone's mind is, what if I'm a little too nervous to start evangelization? This is really one of the few guys that are out there for how to do this, but some people are just shy about their faith or shy about sharing it. What is your advice for them? Yeah, um, that I think that's a great question because the, the fact that this book is saying, you know, you can do this, it, it makes it sound as if I'm saying, you know, get out there and do it now. Get on a street corner, you know, flag somebody down, grab the person next to you. And sometimes that sometimes you do, you, you know, we do need to do that. We do need to be really just open and out there and willing to talk about it. Um, but I think if you're feeling nervous, again, it's like, okay, you pull back, you're going to pray to the Holy Spirit. What do I do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a story that I share in the book about a friend of mine. And when we first met, she was really, um, had had no faith at all, wasn't going to, I shouldn't say she had no faith at all. I think she had a belief in God. She said she maybe would call herself a Unitarian, um, but she didn't go to any kind of a church or, or, you know, regular gathering or anything like that. Um, but we just met through homeschooling and, um, our kids had similar interests and she was just 
a wonderful woman. I just loved her. She became a dear friend. And um, initially, I, I, I had no thoughts about her becoming Catholic, either when I met her or, you know, a little ways into our friendship. I wasn't thinking of those things. I just mm-hmm. really liked her. She was a great person. And um, but early on, she said at, at some point, fairly early in our friendship, she found out that I was Catholic. It hadn't even come up. Um, but she found out that I was Catholic and she said, now, isn't this weird? You know, it seems like every time I make a really good friend and, and she had moved around a bit in her life, she said, every time I make a good friend, it's, it, they turn out to be a Catholic. That's weird. You know, and I thought, hmm, well, that is weird. And I just kind of filed that away. Um, <laughs> but it was never really in, you know, on my mind to convert her. It was, she was in my prayers and they ended up going through some things I, I detail in the book, some, some pretty tough times. And my family and I, uh, we were praying for her um, throughout all of that time. Did I hope and wish that she would come to the Catholic Church? You know, yes, at a certain point, of course, I did just because, you know, I believe it to be true and I believe it to be the most edifying way that we can live on this earth and the most joyful and beautiful way that we can live on this earth. Absolutely. Um, so I wished that for her, yeah. But as far as like actively, openly evangelizing and trying to get her convert, that never really happened. It really was all, I would answer whatever questions she had. We would have sometimes, you know, deep and intense conversations about what life meant. And and when she began to ask questions about my own conversion, I answered them. Um, But it really never went beyond that and all the prayer. Um, And then down the road, though, just it's been a couple of years now, I think, uh, she and uh, her two children did come into the Catholic Church. So I was, I was stunned when I got that phone call. I wasn't expecting it, um, but it was, it was just one of the most beautiful, magical moments of my life. So oh, That is wonderful. I have a good friend who joined the church roughly four years after I did, and a lot of it started with him and I meeting for coffee and it was just his curiosity like why did you do that and I was not right. aiming, I was not aiming to convert him because it's like I'm a new catholic and I'm still trying to do the basics of you know stop sinning learn the faith so right <laughs> but it's a joy it's amazing like just the little things you can do to influence and impact somebody's life yeah yeah. And you know, that chapter where I talk about that friend, I, I call it just do the do. And that one is do hang out with all kinds of people. You know, mm-hmm. I think we just don't want to limit ourselves to um, as much as, as sometimes it feels like it'd be really nice if I could just live in a little Catholic bubble, you know, right. just a block, of, a block, a neighborhood, a city of all Catholics, whatever. Um, but that's not the real world. And, you know, if we're open to meeting all kinds of people, um, how are they ever going to hear the gospel? How are they going to know it? And how are they going to learn about the faith unless we become friends with all kinds of people? So, yeah, it sounds like your friend, you know, you and your friend at coffee, another example of very much the same thing. Just, you know, we became good friends and everything else grew from there. Right. And Something else I always suggest with people why you should make friends with people who are non-Catholics is even if you can't convert, even if they never become Catholic, there is so much misconception out there about what the Catholic Church is. Uh, Fulton Sheen said there's not even 100 people who hate the Catholic Church, but millions who hate what they think is the Catholic Church. And Mm -hmm. I find that sometimes just being a friend with people, they'll say, oh, I always grew up thinking Catholics did this, but you don't seem to do that. And it's mm-hmm. a good way to at least teach people, even if you, even if they never convert, at least now they know what we are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And to remember that, you know, that it's nothing's ever too late. You know, mm-hmm. every 
the my my last book before this one was called Deathbed Conversions, and it was yes. about exactly that. You know, about never never giving up hope on anyone, and we never know what's going on in their life, and and we never know what you know what might happen with them at the last minute, and maybe all those conversations that you had with them, you know, might come back to them. It might have meant something. They might have been internalizing and embracing a lot of stuff that they've never shown on the outside. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. There's those conversations can be so valuable. It's just it comes back to I think just that honesty and openness about being willing to share about our lives, you know, the good and the bad, and then seeing where God's going to take all of that. Certainly. Absolutely. It sounded to, correct me if I'm wrong, but that your husband entered the church a few years later than you Mm -hmm. did? Right, right. Five years later. Oh Uh my gosh. Uh, A lot of our readers do struggle with that. They're in a marriage where their husband or wife is not Catholic, but they are Catholic. And what's your advice for folks in that situation? And I do believe you touched that on that in the book. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a chapter called don't lose patience Mm -hmm. um, Hope for the married. And yeah, I was, I was in that position. You know, my, I always say my husband married a nice atheist girl and he didn't bargain for ending up with a Catholic. So, you know, he was, (laughs) who can blame the guy for being upset? You know, this was not what he signed up for. So, (laughs) you know, about, let's see, I guess it was about six years into our marriage. I was, I was baptized um, mm-hmm. by an Episcopal priest. And then, um, so, you know, first he was dealing with like, oh, okay, she's going to become a Christian. And, and I remember asking him at one point, like, you know, saying like, okay, if I, if I embrace this Christianity stuff, like, is that okay with you? And he said, well, as long as it doesn't affect my life, I'm fine with it. <laughs> so it's, you know, I, I guess it has affected his life a bit since he ended up becoming a Catholic, but <laughs> but yeah it was it was a matter of you know a lot of patience on my heart on my part which I had to learn um I was not patient at first you know I uh so I mentioned my baptism five years later I came into the Catholic Church and then still believing that my husband would never ever come along and Mm -hmm. follow so at first it was you know at times there were there were fights there there I was yelling about you know how great it was to be a Christian and and gee what a wonderful witness I must have been by doing that (laughs) you know and and screaming at him about you know my new pro-life views and how you know I was I was so right and he was so wrong and so you know it's it took a lot of time for me to pull back and realize again, you know, this was not my job. I had to pull back and love my husband, be patient with him, you know, be patient with myself and be patient with the Holy spirit who was hard at work. And once I pulled back and closed my mouth for a while, then my husband started to speak up, you know, then questions started to come up and we were back to that, that gentle approach. I, I had, you know, mm-hmm. reserved apparently for friends, but not for my own husband, you know, of like waiting for the questions and, and being willing to answer them and share and just, and just hoping that he would see the, the joy that I was finding in my Catholic faith, um, and hoping that that would have an effect on him as well. So yeah, it was over a period of five years, but eventually, um, one day he said, um, he said to me about, um, our daughters, um, and, and I, he said, he was talking about evil and the nature of evil. And he said, I think that evil, the definition of it is being separated from God. And he said, and I don't think I want to be separated anymore. He said, I want to be where you and our girls are. And I'm tearing up as I tell you this. I tear up every time I talk to you, Michael. So, <laughs> No worries. Quite all right. 
but that was such a profound moment. You know, he said, I don't, I don't want to be separated from God anymore. And it was that fall that he started in the RCIA program and swore that he was not going to become a Catholic. This was just more about, you know, him learning more about, about God and a relationship with God. And he continued on like that until just before Lent um, of that year as just an observer in the RCIA program. And then at the last moment before Lent began, he decided, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to come into the Catholic Church. And so so he did then at the Easter Vigil that year. Wonderful. Uh, well, I had to I was laughing, of course, when you were talking about being the enthusiastic convert and having the yelling matches. Yeah. <laughs> I will yes. never forget a great Dominican priest, Father Reginald, told me, and this was right before I was initiated into the Catholic Church, but he told me that enthusiastic converts tend to have a five-year shelf life, and I thought that was the weirdest remark he ever <laughs> that was ever said to me, and I was like, where did that come from? And it. about three and a half, four years later, like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, there's there's such beauty to that zealotry, mm -hmm. but but we have to learn how to handle exactly. it. Exactly, <laughs> it's like, it's one of those things. It's uh, sort of like a person who will not stop talking about their favorite band, and then like after a while, you're like, dude, I'm not ever going to listen to them because you keep talking about them. Just yeah, stop. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll have to remember the shelf life comment. I love that. It, it's it, again, it was one of those things. I thought it was strange when he said it, and it makes sense to me until many years down the road. Right. But eh. right, exactly. <laughs> And a oh. final question for anyone who's just kind of curious about this. Uh, you, your final chapter is called Don't Pretend That the Pilgrim Church is Perfect. And I think this is the hardest one of all. But can you talk a little bit about that chapter? Yeah, I think, you know, probably it goes along with um, kind of hand in hand with the, you know, do be honest about your own struggles. But again, I think sometimes as evangelists, we we maybe want to sugarcoat things. I mean, there certainly is a reason. I think, you know, we can give logical and intelligent sure. reasons for every doctrine. So so that is there. There, you know, there there are answers to every question in terms of, you know, what doctrine is, why it is, why we believe what we believe. But the bottom line is the church is, you know, it's both divine and human. It's a divine institution that the Lord gave us but we're the ranks and, and we in the ranks are a mess, you know, <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm still a mess. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I expect plenty of purgatory time and um, I think most of us do. And, um, and there are things, you know, horrendous things that have gone on in the church. The whole, you know, sex abuse crisis was what, well, you know, there's no explanation for that, you know, beyond the fact that evil exists in the world. And sometimes people make evil choices and, you know, that's not to simplify or, you know, diminish those actions or the problem of evil. But the bottom line is you know, that is that is the problem of evil. It has to do with the fact that we do have free will. Mm -hmm. And even those of us who are in the Catholic Church, we, we do not become perfect overnight. Um, we're striving for sanctity. You know, we're we're walking toward it. We're working toward it every day, hopefully, by the grace of God. But we all make many, many mistakes along the way. Sometimes, you know, trivial mistakes that are, are simply, you know, annoying to live with and that kind of thing. And sometimes big mistakes that are, you know, evil or immoral choices. Um, so I just felt that it was important to address that because we, we don't have to dress the church up and, and pretend that the human side of the church is perfect because we know that that's not true. So we may as well yes. just admit it, you know, and share with people that we know that to be true. And yet... You know, we still have found that this is the best and the closest thing 
um, to a home on earth that we're going to find until we truly get home to heaven. Um, so I just, yeah, I just felt, I felt strongly about including, um, including that. I think, again, it just comes back to the honesty. You know, let's just be honest about what a life of faith is really like. <laughs> and I agree. All right. And Karen, final question. Folks want to pick up this book or learn more about you. Where can they find you? Well, my website is um, karenedmiston.com. And uh, that's Karen, E-D-M-I-S-T-E-N.com. And I have a blog that's easy to find from that website uh, where mm-hmm. I blog about, about faith and family and kids and homeschooling and poetry and all kinds of things. Um, as for the book, it's published by Our Sunday Visitor and can be found at um, osv.com um, or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local Catholic bookseller um, would be a great place to ask. If they don't carry it, just ask about it. I always encourage people when you walk into a bookstore, you know, if they don't have what you want, just ask them about it. They're generally very happy to, to help you find what Absolutely. you want. Absolutely. Well, Karen, once more, thank you so much for coming on here. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, and I am especially excited for this book, and I'd be curious to see how the how your readers respond. Yes, yes. Well, I hope. I, I hope they like too. it. I, I, I gave the book to a couple of friends the other day, and I said, I hope you like it, and if you don't, don't tell me. So. <laughs> the Amazon reviewers will not be that kind to you, let me tell you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. They'll be, they will be honest and upfront. So, But thanks for having me on the show, Michael. It's really been Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And to the rest of you who are listening, you can go to catholicexchange.com. We'll have links up for Karen's sites, as well as links to her book to our Sunday visitor. If you have any questions at all, I'm always available, editor at catholicexchange.com. Otherwise, God love you. Have a wonderful week.